This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 968, a conversation with Kelly Thompson. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 968. It's our conversation with Kelly Thompson, or rather, it's the third conversation with Kelly Thompson. If you want to go back and listen to the last interviews I've done with her, you can listen to episode 602 from August 19th, 2018, uh, or you can listen to episode 716 from October 15th, 2019. So it has been two and a half years since I've had a chance to sit down with Kelly, and so we talk about a lot. Um, obviously, you know, no big deal, but nothing's happened in the last two and a half years, right? Uh, just a global pandemic, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but we get into a lot of, uh, you know, the work that she's done in the intervening time. Obviously, she's been working on Captain Marvel. Uh, she's been working on uh, It's Jeff, which is the uh, Marvel Infinity comic, which I absolutely adore. Um, you know, she's also working on Black Widow. She was as part of working on Amazing Spider-Man as part of the Beyond team, um, amongst many other projects. So we really kind of get into, you know, obviously what it's been like to get through the pandemic, um, you know, and how she interacts with with other creators, etc., uh, whether or not she's you know much of a con person. Spoiler, not not much, <laughs> uh, but we kind of you know dip our toe into a lot of different areas. So I think you're really going to enjoy this. This was a great conversation. It's always a complete blast and uh, thrill to sit down with Kelly because uh, she just has some great stories, great perspectives, and it was it was a lot of fun uh, listening to her stories and uh, having this conversation. So thanks again for listening and, and downloading. If this is your first time listening to the Comic Shenanigans podcast and you've come here because you want to hear what Kelly Thompson has to say, first. Of of all welcome second of all you should go back check those other episodes episode 602 716 if you haven't already uh because especially 602 because uh that was the one where we kind of delved more into her career up to that point um that's the nice part about kind of doing these follow-up conversations is that we've already kind of done the groundwork and you know kind of covered the you know from the beginnings to you know whatever that point was and now we can kind of just get into the work that's happened since the last interview which is always a lot of fun so um if you're new to the to the podcast there's a lot of interviews you can go back and enjoy uh, the show is nearing its potential conclusion with episode 1000, but there's still a lot of interviews. I started doing interviews around episode 250. It's where I really kind of started doing them, uh, you know, with uh, a certain amount of gusto. Um, sometimes we'll go through periods where we do interviews, you know, every week. Uh, and then there's periods where we don't do any for a couple months. So it does kind of run the gamut. But thanks for listening to this episode. You can email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Rate the show on iTunes. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And also listen to us on Stitcher. Thanks again. And without further ado, let's jump right into the conversation with Kelly Thompson. Enjoy. Kelly, welcome back to the Comic Shadigans podcast. How are you today? I'm well. Thanks for having me, Adam. Absolutely. So it's funny. So, I mean, not that a lot has happened since you were last on the show, but that was in October 2019. So no big deal. Just a pandemic in the middle. <laughs> I didn't realize the timing. Yeah, that's pretty funny. That is funny. So, I mean, so I'm curious about, you know, everyone's experiences kind of at the early pandemic in your field. I mean, obviously, you have those, you know, a couple months where there was just no new comics coming out. Uh, there was kind of speculation about just how much of a kind of pencils down mentality there may or may not have been. What were, what were you feeling at that time as a, as a freelancer? Uh, early in the pandemic was very, very scary. I mean, you saw Marvel definitely had pencils down with a lot of stuff because... Um, well, I, I guess I don't know for sure it was because I was under an exclusive contract, but I assume that was part of it, maybe. Mm. You know, I was sort of one of the lucky ones, and at least one of my books stayed running full-time. But yeah, both Deadpool and um, Black Widow got put on hiatus, which takes, you know, two-thirds of my income off the table. It was very stressful. It was very scary. Also, you know, you're in a pandemic, which as a comic book writer... You know, there's a lot of advantages in the sense that I have a stay-at-home job, so, you know, it, there's not as much upheaval, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so I'm able to protect myself and things like that a lot better, but let's be real, if things really go badly long term it's not like comics is medicine i mean it's a it's an industry that can go up in smoke like you know you hope it's not going to because when there's no more media and there's no more entertainment i mean 
I don't know. I guess you've got entertainment in apocalyptic worlds as well, but <laughs> it does seem like that's a, a thing that goes pretty early in a in a civilization is, you know, the 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 things we the things we love, art, poetry, music, you know, that stuff is expendable if you're just trying to survive. And so it was pretty scary. Um, I was very lucky that I had been talking to uh, a couple games companies. And so some of that freelance work happened to pop free for me Hmm. right in those first couple months of COVID, which really helped me get through it without needing to call my parents and move into their basement or something. (laughs) Um, So we got really lucky uh, in a lot of ways. Um, But yeah, it was... um, it was scary times. It was scary times. And honestly, there was a lot of fallout. I mean, I don't know, you know, because the Black Widow kept getting moved, movie kept getting moved, mm. the book kept getting moved. Um, I definitely think, I don't know how long we could have gone on Deadpool. These are uncertain times. You never know. But I definitely think COVID killed our Deadpool run. Mm. Um, we were just sort of coming out of our first arc and I think the first week of shutdown that was supposed to be like our exciting new issue and so that got delayed like I mean it's a miracle we even got 10 issues quite frankly Mm -hmm. Um, so you know uh, and I'm certainly not alone it's not oh poor me so many people's (laughs) books and projects suffered or fell into limbo and you know it's um, (laughs) I'm always very impressed and a little jealous of people who like really got their shit together during the pandemic. Like, Oh, they lost a lot of weight and they got healthy or they (laughs) wrote a bunch of novels or comics or whatever, or they made a bunch of money. Like I'm always a little like in awe and jealous, but I'm also a little bit like, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) We're all out here like barely surviving and like trying to make it, you know, through and you guys are out here thriving. I'm always curious about, what that is that some people are so good at that it's not me mm-hmm. it's not me <laughs> i was vulnerable before and i became more vulnerable after yay <laughs> the the community of, of combo creators is interesting too right because i mean often often you know conventions are a way that a lot of these people who you know generally speaking work kind of solo for the most part i mean obviously it's a collaborative medium too but you do a lot of your time kind of working alone and then you would have con- conventions where you'd actually be able to speak with other creators and and kind of hang out together and that and that comes off the table for a while as well so how did you kind of keep keep it going with like other people in the industry and kind of keep that collaborative relationship of uh, surviving in terms of, you know, this fraternity of, of comic creators. <laughs> well, this is a weird way to say this, but I don't really do any of that stuff. So I was <laughs> sort of lucky. I mean, I'm very reclusive physically. Um, and usually when I'm going out with people, they're not people in the comics industry, hmm. uh, not because those people aren't my best friends. They're just n- like most of the ones I'm closest to aren't local and like, you know, even Jordy and I live in the same city, but we've never met. Like <laughs> we haven't lived in the same city that long and there's been a pandemic for a big chunk of it. But, you know, she's like literally one of my favorite people in comics, but we just have an internet relationship you know we work together over emails and ftp sites and drop boxes and we you know and so that's just how we work and it's sort of fine and i um and you know matt rosenberg and ed brisson are two of my best friends in comics and we talk to each other every single day and i have met them in person because i've gone to marvel summits and stuff but you know the think I've had a couple meals with them. Like, I mean, it's just, so I just live a very like online life in a lot of ways. And, um, my in real life stuff is pretty separate from comics. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, all my friends know I do it and some of them are more interested in it than others. We have a lot of art friends, you know, we went to art to art school. Um, my partner and I both went to Savannah college of art and design. So we have a lot of art and art adjacent friends in sort of a variety of ways. And so that's always interesting, but yeah, my comics people tend to be really online. I will say, um, without naming any names because I don't want to, accidentally ascribe (laughs) feelings to them that um that are maybe inaccurate but you know i watched a lot of them go through this though people who are very into cons and who really enjoy the travel aspect of it and going to another city and seeing all their friends who like are engaged in it in a way i'm just not and a lot of them 
I mean, I think there was two, two of one people were bummed out and sad and missing those experiences. Mm -hmm. But I will say that most of them on the other side of it, you know, even though they've missed those connections with people, I don't know that they missed the incredible hustle that is cons and signings and the relentlessness of those seasons, you know, because I mean, it used to be, and it used to be that cons were a couple times a year. Well, now they're every month, you know? And so for someone who's trying to, I mean, I don't even really know how these guys do it. Like, I guess I'm just, it's harder for me to focus maybe, or I'm less productive than I'd like, but you know, it's a very real thing that your ass needs to be in the chair to do the work. And so I don't know how these guys juggle, like, Mm -hmm. I'm also going to do all this other stuff and I'm going to write all this work. It's always been amazing to me, but I do think the cons are going to look a bit different on the, I mean, the best advantage that I think the cons have going for them is that most of those people who used to do that, they really have missed those connections and that traveling and, Mm -hmm. you know, all that stuff. But I do not think they miss the hustle and realizing that, they could make enough money to live even without that was I think a bit eye-opening for a lot of them mm-hmm. that makes so a lot of- I, I don't think cons are going anywhere don't get me wrong I just think maybe people are gonna be a bit more choosy about how many they do or how much they do and where they're going you know mm-hmm. so on a very macro level like again as you said you kind of live this online life so I'm curious so months ago before Spider-Man Beyond started I did talk with Zeb Wells and he kind of said what it was like at the beginning kind of putting together that kind of virtual writer's room so to speak and obviously you were part of that kind of I guess text chain or I don't know exactly how that was working or a slack yeah it was a slack it was a slack um so what, yeah. what was that experience kind of working with other writers like that? Because obviously Marvel is not new to kind of doing those kind of writer's room or having a variety of writers working on a, an almost weekly book. I mean, we had not long ago, we had Avengers No Surrender, where you had Jim Zub, Mark Wade, and Al Ewing. Um, obviously, back in the day, we had Brand New Day So on Spider-Man. So again, you had a whole kind of spider office and this rotating team of, of brain trust. So what was it like to kind of being asked to be part of that and then collaborating in this kind of digital Slack way? Well, it's really cool. I mean, listen, you know, Spidey is certainly the brass ring at Marvel for sure. Um, I've only gotten a chance to write him in like, what, an eight-page short I got to write for one of the books I did. And then he's just been sort of um, like a very minor like cameo character in a couple things. Um, And he's he's awesome he's spider-man he's fantastic so it was really i was honored to be included i'm a very big fan of the beyond stuff that they were doing because i'm a very big fan i like what al did with it also but you know that's from that warren ellis next wave which is one of my favorite comic books probably my favorite superhero comic book so i thought them bringing beyond in was really cool and smart and allowed them You know, Spidey has the great advantage of maybe more than, I don't know, I don't want to say this is so broad, but maybe more than any other Marvel character. He's got like an incredible um, villain, you know, rogues gallery. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like he's one of those characters, you know, I always feel like DC characters, like the, the big time ones like Batman, you know, they have some of the best rogues galleries and it's part of what helps them stay you know vibrant all those years is that that really strong stable of characters and so i feel like spider-man has that but you're always looking for you know other angles to take and i thought beyond was really interesting and there was fun stuff to do with it too i think um you know i saw some criticism from people about that we put too much daughters of the dragon or too much these other things in there and i i don't know i saw someone complaining about that they were my pet characters or something like i've i've barely ever written those characters before we were just looking for ways you know a lot of the arc was about new villains and old villains and when all of us collectively looked at that with the exception of miles it was an incredibly white landscape Mm. and so if you want to play with the classic characters and supporting characters it's like all all white people but you don't want your you don't want your diversity to come from all new bad guys that you introduce and so we were just looking for a balance for like a more i mean it's new york 
<laughs> it's New York. It's pretty urban. It's pretty diverse. And so I think we were just looking for ways and characters that would make sense and that would diversify it a little bit so that we all felt like it felt a little more like a real world for Peter. Um and uh, the beyond thing, I'm sure people have made the connection now, but, you know, the beyond thing, we knew that we were setting up some stuff with Monica Rambeau as a sort of fun side thing of bringing her in to help deal with some of these problems. Because even though beyond is the catalyst in that story, you know, what it comes down to is sort of Peter versus Ben stuff. And so we knew we were going to have to offload some of the beyond stuff. And we were setting up this stuff with Monica Rambeau. And so part of the way we also set that up was through the daughters of the dragon. I don't know. I think some people felt like it was taking, our eyes off of what they were there for, which is Ben and Peter. Mm. But to me, when you're planning 12, 15 issues, whatever it is, by the time you add in all the ancillary things and you're handing off parts of those stories, like you need a lot of moving parts and a lot of mysteries and a lot of, you know, dynamics going on in order to, for that story to feel fleshed out and real. Um, I'm really proud of what we did. I had a really good time. For the most part, um, certainly Zeb was fantastic, and the and the Slack everyone everyone did an amazing job. Of of the other kind of writers, I mean, obviously you mentioned Zeb, but like, were you like obviously you're you're kind of reading what everyone's putting together because it all kind of informs what you're going to be doing in your next issues. Was there was there any kind of I mean this in a positive way, but any really <laughs> positive surprises amongst the kind of the creative team that, you know, you might have had good expect- ex- expectations going in, but you're almost surprised by how much you enjoyed some of their work or how they were, you know, kind of developing things. I mean, I guess the big one for a lot of people was that, you know, Pat Gleason was actually writing this time where, you know, we know him more as an artist, but now he's, you know, jumping into the, into the writer's seat. I mean, there's so much of the visual storytelling is writing anyway, right? So it kind of made sense. Yeah, no, but- I, I think it was brilliant to have Pat in the room whether he was going to write or not because he brought so much to the table the way he thinks is different than a lot of us sitting there at that in that zoom and so he brought so much to the table and then he i don't know he did two issues i don't know how many he wrote now i can't remember all the breakdowns but um yeah i mean he did an incredible job but he's he's written some before so Mm. that wasn't that wasn't super surprising to me um and yeah, nobody nobody was really surprised because I knew, I mean, I guess I'd had the least exposure to Cody's work because he mm-hmm. does a uh, Ziggler. He does a uh, Zig. Uh, <laughs> he does a lot of, um, t- you know, he does a lot of TV stuff. So I wasn't that familiar with his comic stuff. Um, but A, he's a really big fan of Black Widow. So I know he had incredible taste. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, so I mean, I guess of all, of all the people there, um, Zig's stuff surprised me the most just because I didn't know his work really, but I loved it. I thought he did an incredible job. I'm a very big fan of Zeb. Hellions was one of my favorite books mm. um, of the past couple years. I think he's one of those guys who really is just genuinely really, really funny and it can bring that in his scripts, but he never he never sort of loses sight of the heart of it, which is so important. Mm-hmm. Um I think that, um, you know, Saladin and, uh, Saladin and Pat, yeah, I mean, I think everyone just really just brought the, the best they could to bear and was, like, kind of doing, you know, I mean, that was part of the beauty of how that worked out was that we were all working towards a common goal, but everyone was a little bit doing their own thing within that common goal. So it was fun. It was fun. And I loved that I didn't have to plot anything, which is my least favorite part of the process. I guess that would have been part of my next question is kind of in general, just coming down from editorial, you know, how, when they administer something like this, when you do have kind of a broad writers team like this and you have a very fast paced schedule, so you're going to have a lot of assignments going different places. Um, how were assignments kind of handed out or what, what was that kind of macro plotting that it actually looked like? Well, so, you know, we had a couple Zoom. I want to say we had three, but I can't remember for sure. So three in the Slack or two in the Slack, something like that. So, like, the first one was, like, really just they had this broad idea. They wanted to use Ben. Here They came into the room, the editorial, with some ideas. Um, and Zeb was definitely the leader. I mean, there was no – there was no – 
misunderstanding of that. Like he was heading the room. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, he was writing issue one and he was sort of driving it and he would be writing the last issue like for sure. And then whatever else he was deciding he was going to write in the middle. And because of that, he had to do the outlining. So, you know, we would all throw these ideas at the wall and we'd workshop through all these things. Um, the editorial would take notes or whatever. And then he would go away with all of that and beat it into a very extensive outline and boy, that does not sound like a good time. Even now, once we're through it, <laughs> um, it's really hard to do. It's especially hard when you're doing such a long arc and when you've got so many moving pieces and when you know you're going to have to hand off pieces to people. Um, I don't really know how Zeb and Nick made the decisions for who to get to give what to who. I was very lucky to get a very early piece, which I didn't even realize how, how lucky I was until later when I had to do a piece at the very end, which was hard because I couldn't, you know, I could read most of the stuff that was done, but not everything up to that point was done. Mm. And as I said to Nick and Zeb, I've never... While I've done a lot of co-writes before, I've never done them quite like this, and I've never had it before where I was separated from the main character I'm writing for a long time, Mm. and now I have to write him again, but I don't really know where his head is at because there are missing issues here, you know? Yeah. Um, So it was really... um, That was very difficult for me. I didn't realize until this happened like how much I rely on sort of knowing exactly where my characters heads are at at all times and how much easier that makes things for me so that was a real challenge for me um I'm happy with the way the issue came out but it was it was a it was a splash of cold water because I you know this is my fourth fifth I guess technically fifth Mm co-write and they've all been completely different so (laughs) Um, you know, with Kelly Sue DeConnick, that was my first one with Captain Marvel and the Carol Corps. And, you know, she's Kelly Sue DeConnick and I'm nobody. So it's very much following my lead. But she and Sana did a great thing where they really helped me learn by putting me through my paces. Like Kelly Sue would give me the rough idea and then I would go off and break the issues and then we would revise together and then I would write the issue and then she would tweak them and, you know, so stuff like that. When I did it with um, G. Willow Wilson for A-Force, there was no overlap. You know, she got pulled out because of a family emergency, so she'd written the first issue and had, like, a very rough outline of the next three, and I just came in, and there she wasn't there at all. So I just had to <laughs> I just had to grow into that and use her outline as a roadmap and get there, you know? Um, when Matt, Ed, and I did it together for Uncanny X-Men, we were all so close mm-hmm. that we wrote every issue together, which sounds crazy, but I have to say, of all the styles, I think is my preference. Like, we were just confident enough that we could match each other's voices and that we agreed on the voices of the characters enough mm-hmm. that we thought we could make it pretty seamless. And I didn't think of it at the time, but now that I've done the Spider-Man experience, that was really superior to me because I knew everything Mm. all the time, you know? I was in it for every issue. And so there was never a time where I wasn't sure what X, Y, or Z was doing because I'd been in it for every issue. Um, I also did a co-write, I guess, just to close the circle here, (laughs) uh, Power Rangers. Brendan Fletcher and I worked on Power Rangers together for the first two issues and then and that was that actually worked pretty well we were sort of alternating it was just a lot of revision from the sort of parent company Mm. situation like Saban uh it was it was a pretty big struggle and then he and I were both really overwhelmed and it was very time consuming and so they ended up bringing in Teeny Howard but she basically so that was a situation where she sort of had the A-Force role that I had where she just sort of inherited our detailed outlines, but then she really did it on her own. So 
Um, so yeah, this takes a lot of different forms. It's never quite the same. And now I know some forms are superior to others. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I had a great time with Zeb and, and, and Zig and Saladin and, uh, and Pat. It was so it was really fun. Uh, they're really talented guys who really just love comics, you know, and that's mm-hmm. always a bit inspiring, you know, for sure. So jumping off something that you kind of mentioned in, in jest earlier, uh, is there a Daughters of the Dragon book forthcoming from you? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, I would I would be interested in that, but I, I mean, I do think we know that, that despite the fact that they're great characters that totally deserve it, um, you know, they haven't traditionally, their books have not performed super well. So that's hard. Um, but, you know, you never know, I guess. For sure. So I want to switch gears just because I have to make sure I mention it uh, before we run out of time. So I recently finally got Marvel um, Unlimited, and I love Jeff. Um, so <laughs> it's it's one of the most fun reading experiences I've had in a long time. Uh, completely joyful. I've been able to enjoy it with my eight year old, with my three year old. Uh, my three year old just like looks at my my iPad and just says like Jeff, Jeff, or sorry, Disney, and she's just so excited by it. So I just want to know the the genesis of kind of giving this character. Uh, who's definitely a fan, a fan favorite and a favorite of yours, obviously, um, but their own spotlight. And it's such a, a great use of what the kind of new platform on Infinite Comics was in terms of kind of the upward scroll. So I'm just curious how this all came about um, and whose idea was it to kind of give Jeff his own book? Uh, yeah, so I don't know whose idea it was. I, it wasn't my, I mean, certainly it is mine, but I didn't tell anyone about it. Um, no, I, I knew about the Marvel Unlimited and that they were sort of exploring this more web comic scrolling format. Um, like, I knew they were talking about that, but it hadn't occurred to me to pitch anything for it or whatever. I mean, to be honest, Marvel's kept me so busy that, you know, I... I didn't do a lot of seeking out of new projects, you know, while I was there. It was more like, hey, Black Widow's available. Are you interested? And then, you know, I'm like, yes. And I'm like jumping on that, you know. <laughs> um, and so that's sort of how this came to me was it was either CB or Steve Wacker um, that they wanted to do this. And I said I was super into it. I said I my only concern was artist like I was very concerned we'd get the right artist for that and they were like well who do you think the right artist is and I was like Guri Hiru <laughs> and they were like they're our first choice <laughs> and I was like that's amazing and then you know Guri Hiru I know they're big fans of Jeff they've drawn him into a bunch of fun things that uh, as far as I know nobody told them to draw him into and so I think <laughs> they just have a genuine affection for the character and so you know, I think one of the great things about it's Jeff, first of all, it's all silent. Um, sometimes his name gets said and mm-hmm. sometimes we have some sound effects, but other than that, it's silent. And I think that that really gets to show off the storytelling, especially well. Uh, Guri Hiru is not, they're not only incredible storytellers, but they just draw the cutest shit. It's crazy how <laughs> cute it looks. And they, they never, <laughs> Their storytelling skills are so sharp, though. They're cartooning. Like, the cuteness never gets in a way of the storytelling, which I, I think is sort of amazing because I've definitely seen that happen in other places where this thing is so cute and we're all loving it, but is story sort of being sacrificed for it to be this cute? You know, I think that does happen, but it doesn't happen with them. They're just so good. And so, you know, the hard part of my job is coming up with concepts that can land, that will feel smart and funny and heartwarming, that we can get in and out of within a certain amount of time. Um, So I find for those strips, it's almost like writing a perfect joke rather than writing a story, Mm -hmm. right? You've really only got enough time to get across like one idea. Um, and so that's sort of the challenge for me. And then the challenge for them is doing everything else, (laughs) (laughs) making it adorable, making it read right. Um, but yeah, it's been an incredible experience. It was, you know, Jeff is sort of very hard to write during the pandemic. I was very depressed and sad a lot during the pandemic, still am. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but I got a lot of joy out of, first of all, I watched a lot of cartoons uh, to be inspired by and thinking about Jeff and, and getting my head in that sort of short form headspace. Um, and cartoons always make you feel better. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and Jeff did too. And I knew that not only was I taking joy, I mean, it was more fun for me once stuff started coming in as opposed to when I write a script. I mean, sometimes when I write a script, I feel like it's great. But especially with Jeff where, you know, there's no dialogue. It's all the concept. So it's not, it doesn't start to get really fun for me until it starts coming back. But man, when it started coming back with the arts and the layout, oh my God, I was like, oh, people are going to love this so much. The world needs this. (laughs) It very much felt like the right time, you know, for, for a Jeff strip. So it was a, it was a great experience. I've actually just started writing the second season right now. And, um, I'm not sure when that's going to come out, but I'm very, happy that we're doing more so for sure well i know my family is very excited for more that's for sure i'm, I'm, I'm curious just from a, a scripting standpoint because in some of these issues like you don't even have traditional kind of breaks between panels because again some of them in particular i think i'm thinking of issue six where you have um, you know jeff is is having a bath and so you have this long sequence where, you know, it just continues. Like, it doesn't really break. There's no breaks. It's just the color continues as he, you know, kind of swims further, further into the depths. How do you script that? Like, like is that all on the page? Or how much of it are you leaving up to the artist? Um, well, we try when we've got uh, – we, we try to take advantage of the format when it worked. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that would be Gurihiro figuring that out while they're drawing it. And they're like, oh, this would work better if we did it like a long panel. Sometimes it was me saying in the script, I think this one would work great as like a, a, a long tracking shot. Sometimes Steve, the editor, Wacker would, would – would, would be the one to call it out. So we were all sort of looking for those opportunities, but we also just wanted, I mean, I think, I think you're, you're trying to tell the best, cutest story you possibly can as first. And second, like, let's explore the form, like in a way that makes sense. And that, and that works for this. Right. So that's sort of secondary, but yeah, I mean, it was like, I've, yes, yes, Steve and I were suggesting things. Yes, some of that's in the scripting, but I really want to give it mostly to Gurry Hero. I just think they're really visually brilliant. Um, it's just the way they think about it. They're so in tune. Like, you know, I've never, there's a language, you know, they have translators and stuff, so I've never had an actual conversation with them. But... I've rarely felt so in sync with an artist or artist team as I have with them doing Jeff, despite the fact that we've never had a real conversation. So (laughs) I think that's awesome. I think it's weird and I think it's totally worth celebrating, you know, that even when you don't speak the same language, you can speak the language of Jeff silent comics. Like, isn't that sort of beautiful? Like, absolutely. I love it. So a a question about a particular visual gag. I'm curious. I mean, I guess it was in the script, but where you have Jeff in place of the MGM lion, um, at the beginning (laughs) of one of the, like, it's just kind of a, like it has nothing to do with the rest of the particular gag. It's just a great gag on its own. Um, like that's really inspired and fun. And, and again, obviously the artist really sells it. Um, but that was all in your script. Like this would be a great one panel gag. I don't, I don't know that I, I don't know that I said the MGM lion specifically, but I think what I referenced was this should have the vibe of that Looney Tunes. That's all folks thing, you know, where like Mm -hmm. they pop out of the, um, I don't know what you call them, but like the radiating circles or whatever that sort of like a operate almost like a stage curtain, right? And mm-hmm. they sort of pop out of that and they're like, that's all, folks. Like, So I think that was what I had been talking about, but that's the same effect to me. Like that's the same result. Like that gets the same idea across of this idea of him in a familiar posing that we recognize as being about something else but now it's about jeff do you know what i mean does that make sense yeah no it does 
Well, I'm, I'm very glad to hear that there's going to be a second season because, as I said, it was tremendously enjoyable. Like, I had heard about it. And I knew it had launched, but I hadn't gotten Marvel Unlimited yet. I was just kind of dragging my feet on it. Then, obviously, whatever you know happened with Comixology and Amazon happened. I'm like, well, oh. I think it's time to go to Marvel Unlimited. <laughs> and it was the first thing I, I looked for. I'm like, I know Jeff is here. I know I want to read this. Um, and, it, yeah, it did not disappoint, that's for sure. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I'm glad. I uh, Yeah, I'm a little... Um I'm a little uh, angry at my nephews right now because you're talking about your child liking Jeff so much. I, I feel like they were a little over underwhelmed. Um, maybe it was because they were looking at it with me, and then that changes the nature of something, of like mm. how you're processing something. But it was a little funny, although I will say that my um, – my younger nephew, Zach, I was very impressed with him because they're both quite creative, my nephews, and uh, and very smart, uh, alarmingly smart. Like, <laughs> I'm sure it will be very quickly where I'm like, well, I can't talk to you anymore because you are too smart for me. I don't know about these things. <laughs> but um, they uh, – one of my nephew, my older nephew, Luke, was like, oh – well, it doesn't have any words. How did you write it? And I was like, well, that's a great question. How do you think I wrote it? And my younger nephew, Zach, like really thought about it for a minute. And he goes, because you told him what to draw. You told him what it would be about. And I was like, (laughs) yes. I was like, very good. Like I was super impressed that he could sort of figure out that chain of how that works. I mean, as adults, we talk about that process and sometimes don't understand it. So I was very excited about that. But yeah, they should have liked the comics more. I'm going to say it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I think I went, a few years ago, like obviously, like I, my son's eight, so I've given him a lot of comic books by this point. But one of the first things that I remember giving him, because it was wordless and there was so much about the storytelling, was uh, Owly by Andy Runton, um, mm. which is such a a beautiful series of books that conveys so much emotion just in simple line work and you don't need words like words would almost yeah. I mean he's redone it with words and the words still work but there's just something about the, the the beauty of just pure storytelling which is that's what you can do in this medium at its purest form yeah for sure so I, I would be remiss. So we, you know, we're we're running out of our time. But obviously, you know, two of the bigger books that you've been reading or sort of writing in the last couple of years have been obviously Black Widow and Captain Marvel. Uh, Black Widow has just been such a revelation. It's been so enjoyable to have Natasha have an ongoing that's you know this well done. You've had some great art, artists. Uh, obviously, Adam Hughes has really killed it with some cover art. Um, oh, you know, so good. Bringing his A game there, which, I mean, that's not a surprise. Uh, how has it been kind of jumping in to Natasha's brain? Like, you've really put the character through a lot of paces, and so it's almost like you have a vendetta against her, but really you are <laughs> doing a lot of great things for her. So what is it like, you know, steering this character who's had a lot of interesting iterations? Like, this character has really fluctuated over the, over her history, so what is it like to kind of be in the pilot seat for her now? Man, I had such a good time. I love Natasha. I love that character. I've wanted to get my hands on her for a while. I had a very clear idea of what I wanted to do with her, which was what we did, both that first sort of weird arc that I wanted to be really emotional and really sort of set her on a new path, and then this arc we got following that, or the two arcs we got following that, where she's sort of doing the hero thing in San Francisco and trying to do it a little bit differently than maybe she's approached it in the past. Um, I would have liked to keep going and do more spy stuff and, you know, do more cool save the world heisty stuff. (laughs) Um, but you know, I just, I'm just, I just love the character and I love the interactions that we got. She's such a incredible character, with you know she really one of my favorite things about you know people who want her with Bucky or people who want her with Clint I understand both of those I sort of want her with both of them but I also just want her with neither of them because I love their friendships I think I think those characters draw really interesting things about out of her you know as a spy I think she's a very fluid character where Mm -hmm. she changes to fit whatever scenario she's in. And so I think she does that in her relationships too. And I, I don't mean it as her being deceitful. I just think it's natural for her. So with Clint, she's a bit 
lighter and funnier and, you know, maybe a little bit silly and maybe not, um, maybe that seems really fun, but maybe that doesn't seem like how you build a life, maybe, Mm -hmm. question mark. (laughs) And with Bucky, they really understand each other on a level that a lot of other people can't and never will and never would want to. And I think their relationship is incredibly deep and serious, but you know, maybe you don't want to be deep and serious all the time, especially when you live a very scary, intense, um, lifestyle, you know? So I think some of the escape of Clint is probably very appealing for her at the same time. I think it's easier to see her like building a more, long-term life with someone like Bucky but whether you ever pair them off with those characters or not the relationships are so powerful the same way that her relationship with Yelena which has gone through all these evolutions over the years and now they've come to this place where these they're these sort of begrudging sisters and friends and co-workers and only a little bit enemies you know and I I don't know I just really I think it's uh I think she's an amazing character that creates stories everywhere she goes just by the very nature of how mysterious and powerful and interesting she is, you know? Mm -hmm. When you started writing the character, like which, which inspirations did you find most informed your kind of headcanon of how you were going to write the character? Because as I said, like she has gone through a lot of very different iterations and sometimes you can almost define it by the costume she's wearing at the time like she's had very different visual yeah. looks that have kind of informed kind of how different creators wrote her sorry wrote her so yeah. how did you which one did you think appealed to you most in terms of how you were channeling her in your brain well i think i think physically with costumes and things i mean there's a lot of stuff i love including including um going all the way back to you know Ramita's great costume for her and stuff so but I think when you're talking about runs and like what runs do I really respond to I mean I think there's a lot of great ones but the Marjorie Lou Daniel Acuna run stands out Mm -hmm. as being particularly powerful and like really knowing what it was about and the Mark Wade Samney run is another fave um, especially the art in that. I'm a big fan of Samney's art. And I think, you know, I think it's issue 11 that is, I know it's not the final issue, but I think it might be the penultimate issue. Mm. But it's just really one of the most beautiful comics I've ever seen that's done in that style, which is like, you know, more sort of iconic, um, less realistic, more. I don't like to say cartoonish, but that's probably the better descriptor, you know, like Sammy's got a lot of really clean lines and um, sharp figures. And it's really just an incredible looking issue. Uh, The whole run is, but that one in particular is a fave. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's impossible to talk about our run of Black Widow without talking about how much uh, Elena Casagrande and Jordi Belair defined it with their visuals mm-hmm. um it's comics so at the end of the day you know no matter what a great story you're trying to tell or how much great emotional content you're writing if the visuals aren't there you know you're wasting your time and i just think we had sort of from the jump the best possible the best possible people you could have for that like i I think when issue one started coming in with Elena, you know, I'd never worked with Elena before. She was who I picked. Sarah wanted to pick her too. And we just saw it and we're like, this is our girl. We know it's going to work. But when those pages started coming in, that's when you go, oh, oh, it really is going to work. Like, it's going (laughs) to be amazing. (laughs) But I didn't know it was going to be Eisner winning amazing. And uh, that's uh, that's been pretty awesome. I mean, some of the action sequences that were laid out were just incredible. Right. Just watching, you know, the character fluidly move on the page all within the one shot. Like, some people can do it, but not that many. And not that many can do it that well. And it yeah. was just incredible to just to kind of look at all the details. Because there's so many small little things that were in there. But if you really took yeah. the time to look at it and pour over it, you're like, wow, how did, yeah. how did a person do this? Yeah, if you want to know how much time Elena spent on all those fights and how many how many days of pages she was doing that were fighting only is that her young son she told me at one point that her young son 
called the book The Lady Who Fights, which <laughs> is, a, like, pricelessly adorable. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I actually just did a post yesterday on my Substack um, that's available to anyone that's got all of the double-page action double page spreads that we did for all 15 issues that features all of them in there no text no anything just the pages oh wow and uh it's honestly it's awesome it's like an honest <laughs> it's an awesome collection of stuff uh all in one place there's a couple other little things too i included a page that wasn't an action sequence and these two mock-up covers that we had done mm-hmm. uh but other than that it's just the action spreads and ugh, it's awesome it's awesome what, it's awesome that I got to be a part of that. What did your scripts look like when you have some of those action sequences? Like, were you spelling out exactly how you wanted it to look, or did you kind of give her more kind of free reign? Like, how did that how did that work out? Because it's so intricate. Um. So it's um. Sorry, it's uh, like a it changes over time. I guess is what I would say. So, you know, when I'm writing them for Elena at the beginning of us working on Black Widow, I'm writing it very tightly what I want to see because we don't know each other very well yet. She's trying this new DeLuca effect thing with multiple figures in a scene um, or multiple versions of the same figure in a scene, I should say. Um, She was into that. We talked about that. Um, and I spelled it out very clearly that that's what I wanted, but I wasn't saying they all needed to be that. For example, the spread in the second volume is not a DeLuca effect. It's a more traditional action spread and it's still great, but I think she, in issue three, she did one of her best DeLuca effect pages, which is this fight in this kitchen Mm -hmm. with Natasha and a bunch of bad Russian dudes. And, um, it's incredible. It's incredible uh, what she can do. And um, so in a case like that, that was issue three. I was still writing pretty tight there. But by the time we get to issue 15, yeah, it's a lot looser. Um, but again, I hate, I'm sorry to reference the subsec again, but I do... I did literally do a process post that talks about what DeLuca Effect is okay. and that shows off her process pages and a bit of my script so people can see but so people should go check that out if they're interested in it I think it's pretty interesting um but I will say so like for example I would write you know the double page spread you know oh we're in a we're in the kitchen and she's gonna fight these five or six guys or whatever and so then I would be like nap figure one you know, Nat one, mm. and then I would put what the action is, and then you know, bad guy Z or whatever, and then here's maybe what the sound effects are, and then so I would write it all out like that. So maybe I'm saying there's seven Nats on the page, seven different Nats on the page, and like even at the beginning when I'm writing that tight, she's maybe not doing that exactly because she knows what's best for the page, and so she can look at oh, I see what Kelly wants from this Hmm. and here's the best version of that we can do, you know, and here's the ways in which I can make it better than what she thought it was going to be or whatever, you know? So, and I, I think that's all the best collaborations work like that, right? Like I am here to give you the tools and set it all down on the page of what we're trying to do. And then you're looking at that and, figuring out the best way to do it including throwing out my idea because it's not the best way to do that like that's part of the process and then the pages come back to me and I go oh I see what she did here that is better but that doesn't fit this thing I did so now I gotta tweak that and you know just trying to lean into what your collaborator is doing try to you know don't fight them try to go in the same direction so that everyone makes the best possible you know Mm -hmm. uh, choices for sure. Now you mentioned before, uh, you know, getting an Eisner. What was it like to, you know, to win the Eisner for best new series? It was awesome, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. I didn't even. I was paying no attention to that they were going on because we were the only sort of uh, big two book in the mix with a lot of creator owned stuff, all of which was very good. So I just thought, there's no chance. I mean, I wasn't even thinking about it. I think I found out from Al Ewing (laughs) that he was like, hey, congratulations. And I was like, what? 
And he was like, you, he's like the Eisner. He's like, you guys won. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, so I go digging it up and I found the cast where they were doing it. You know, they had like a broadcast that they were doing and I screenshot it when our name came up and everything. It was awesome, man. Um, but yeah, I didn't think we had a shot in hell. So it was a really nice surprise. <laughs> it was also nice to be the female team hmm. doing a fighting book, but that's also one about like hardcore emotions and, you know, dealing with what you want versus who you are and reconciling all of that. Like, I love that. Absolutely. Uh, my only complaint about winning the Oscar is it's a literal crime that Jordy didn't get one, that her name isn't on it. Oh. Um, she's not recognized. She, she has colored every single issue of that book except for about five pages in one of the flashback sequences and that was by design that was because mm-hmm. we wanted it we all wanted it to look different and she thought someone else should color it for that reason um like i can't i can't overstate her contribution and it feels very very wrong that she's not mm-hmm recognized that way like i i don't want to swing on the eisners because i'd i'd like to win some more of them. <laughs> <So> <laughs> and uh and i really respect them and i like them and i know that you know recognizing every single person on the team isn't always possible but I, the colorist doesn't feel like every other single person on the team to me like if it's one single person that's a huge contribution absolutely um yeah. Yeah. As you said, especially someone who added so consistently with every issue, except for, as you said, just a few pages by design, like a, a pretty core aspect of that book is the colors, too. It, re- it really, really is. And I, I'm willing to admit that maybe every book that wins an Eisner, maybe color isn't as important as it is in our book. Although I'd, I'd wager to guess that most books that win an Eisner, the coloring is still pretty important, unless you're black and white. Hmm. And I can acknowledge without wanting to swing on anyone I can acknowledge that coloring isn't always great I have a lot of problems with modern comics coloring I think a lot of it is not so great but good coloring always stands out as being like level raising you know mm-hmm. so yeah absolutely so we can uh, we can wrap up with a, uh, some discussion of of Captain Marvel, which continues and is such an enjoyable book because you really built a, a fun cast of characters around Carol. And it's not just Carol's book. It's really this large supporting cast. How fun has it been for you to kind of reestablish and establish some of these characters so that you have a, a tr- you know, a real supporting cast of characters that she can play with? Yeah. I mean, that was a big thing I wanted to do in sort of bringing her back to earth. Um, You know, I mean, Carol is a cosmic character, and she's also a flyer character, and she's literally someone that says and feels, I want to go up. And so, quote-unquote, grounding her on Earth feels a little weird, but, um, A, it's not like she's completely grounded. I mean, she's just flying off to other planets in our last arc, so, you know, (laughs) she's not completely grounded. But I I just felt like she'd been doing a lot of that for many arcs you know it was like especially in kelly pseudoconic's second arc she was away in space on other planets for like most of that arc and then you know uh marjorie lou and some other people had her at the alpha flight space station like so she'd just been off planet a lot and i just thought there was something of value to bring her back and like really re-anchor her not just with her supporting cast or a new a combination of new and old supporting cast but also to just re-anchor her with humanity mm-hmm. you know like um that's part of her and how do people even know she's a hero when she's spends all her time on another alien planet and so not that that's not valuable too, but I just thought maybe that connection needed to be re-established and re-strengthened, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so it was really fun. We've had a great time bringing in new characters. We've introduced so much that have really hit. Um, Star was sort of the first one. L'Oreal was a big hit. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think binary is still pretty early, so we'll see. But I, I think she's, I think she's a great character. It's a great code name that was just sitting there with no one using it. So let's get it on the board. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do think there's something coming up um, above and beyond this next arc, the new arc that I'm working on. Uh, if it works out, I think it's, I think it's going to really excite a lot of people that. Um, want Carol to push into exciting new directions, but also love some of her old stories and some of those old beats. So mm-hmm. I think it's a good merge of those. Yeah. When well, one thing that really you know kind of jumped out when you when you reuse Jenna Spell, that was kind of like a whoa, Jenna Spell's back. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but it, it was interesting because you know he didn't really know who people were and like what's going on. Yeah. So um, I just liked seeing that character back because he's been off the board for a long time. Yeah. I mean, my hands were a little tied there. I mean, first of all, I, I don't want to say like, oh, I want to have this whole story I wanted to tell with Jenna's and then I didn't do it. But um, no, I didn't have a whole story. I knew there wasn't going to be a ton of room. But at some point in the process of writing that, um, I became aware from my editor that they were going to do this other book. And, you know, there was some discussion about what's the best state to leave him in for that book to work the best and Mm. so we sort of agreed on I'm not going to have time to get into it anyway they're going to be in the middle of a fight for most of it so what what state do they need him in for that book to be the best book it can be and so then we sort of work backward from there. I did Um, really enjoy Sergio's kind of take on the character um, which again felt right ripped from the 90s but like every detail just looked perfect. (laughs) Yeah, Sergio was, man, he was incredible. I mean, he's the whole reason we ended up extending that arc was just, he was just drawing the crap out of those fight scenes. And I was just said to Sarah, I was like, I think we can go even bigger and better with this. Like, let's do it. You know, let's just go all in. And uh, we had the bandwidth and he was, he was able to stay on for longer. And so we were able to really stretch it out a little bit and make it bigger. And uh, it was really fun. It was really fun. Yeah, his, the, his artwork is just incredible. Like, it really, as you said, it really makes everything, seeing those battles, those fight sequences, they really, there's so much energy in there. And actually, I should mention that, you know, your colorist does a great job there, too, Abertov, um, because when you have all these energy blasts and, you know, fire blasts, like, if you don't have a good colorist really making it sing, it's not going to work. Yeah, 100%. So that's another 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 title you've worked yep. on where the colorist definitely added a lot to that. Yeah. I shouldn't say I'm lucky. I'm sure my editor, Sarah, would roll her eyes at me saying lucky, and she'd be like, no, you're difficult. Um, <laughs> she's right. She's not wrong. Um, we we fight, quote-unquote, fight a little bit about art because um, I'm very picky about getting the right person, but I would say color is the number one thing mm. we've sort of gone back and forth arguing on, and part of that's just because she's she's unfortunately stuck with me Sarah and I'm pretty out of sync with a lot of modern coloring that most people find completely fine and I hate it so I'm very picky I have a lot of standards and listen you know I think that my Captain Marvel books have looked really great overall not every single issue maybe like sometimes a colorist is great and an artist is great but they're sort of not great on each other mm-hmm. Um, so that's like a whole thing, but I do think that, you know, you, someone like me, no matter how much I think my opinion is right about coloring or any other number of things, like sometimes you also have to think about what's right for the book. So, so modern sort of really bright, superhero coloring isn't always my thing but that is a good fit for a captain marvel book Mm. so i have to step back and be like okay that's not my favorite style of coloring but it is appropriate for the kind of story we're telling and the kind of book we are and so let's just find the best right person who can do that style a way that i like it you know and so that we can sort of compromise and meet in the middle there um, and 
and that's you know what is life uh, but not compromise <laughs> absolutely well kelly thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today is there anything else you'd like to kind of promote you've mentioned your sub stack already but uh, anything else you'd like to kind of uh, hype up yeah yeah i mean i think the sub stack is um the only other thing i can really talk about that i'm doing right now we're doing black cloak is uh chapter four will be coming out at the end of this month um the first chapter is about 20 pages and it's available to read for free in its entirety you can download it um the other three chapters so far or two and then one coming up are behind a paywall but it's going really well we've also so that's um meredith mclaren and i doing a fantasy sort of a it's sort of a detective story set in a fantasy world mm-hmm. um and that's called black cloak and then it's not coming out yet but maybe this summer it's going to start up i think uh, the call with uh from me and maria de Ulis, uh which is sort of a i don't know horror movie goonies style <laughs> with with teenagers instead of preteens maybe um it's turning out really incredible um i showed i showed some of the first uh colored pages uh that came in to uh to some friends today and uh, i got cussed out a lot because they were very jealous so uh, (laughs) i think people are gonna love that we've also got another announcement happening it might be this month but i think it'll probably be next month so it's uh it's a lot of really exciting stuff and you can read a lot of the process posts, like the things talking about DeLuca effect and showing off the Black Widow spreads, like all that stuff is free. Most of the content is free. Um, and then there's a paywall for, you know, once you get past issue one of the comics and stuff like that. But we're doing a lot of great stuff. We're building a little community there. We're having a great time. It's cool. That's awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much again for, for coming by the show and uh, for chatting with us today. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me.